we'll read the first three verses of Hosea 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said, it's important that you catch that phrase. The Lord said to Hosea, Take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And then it goes on to talk about the children that were born out of that relationship, which we'll deal with in the coming messages, the Lord willing. So God says to his prophet, you go and you take a wife of whoredoms. This is either insanity or it's an example of the greatest kind of love. And it's amazing. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful to be your child, mainly because I know I don't deserve to be, and that I have this privilege because of you. And this morning, Father, we get to look back at, at, a, at a book, a message that was originally intended for the nation of Israel and dealt with specific things going on during that time. And yet the truth of that dealing is relevant today. And so I pray that you would help us to understand what was and what, what is still being said to us in these days. So thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing at this time. Before the message, we'll enjoy a great special. This, is, uh, this song has a, a great sentimental value to me. My grandmother, who's suffering from Alzheimer's, she wouldn't know this now. But growing up, this was the song she wanted us to sing to her all the time. And Miss Jessica is going to sing a great old hymn called Touring That City.
And we will ever abide with him. That is wonderful. I like, I like that song. Miss Jessica was telling me that that's the first special she remembers singing when she was around seven years old. We have benefited greatly from her ministry of music. And so that is a, that is a good truth, good song. I love the difference in boys and girls, and they are different. God made it that way. Okay, I didn't get enough help on that. Speaking of something, I was going to mention this. Man, Brother Max does a great job um, leading the services and, and all of that. I'm thankful for that. But I thought about this when he was saying, man, we're glad to have our guest here. Just every now and then we need a reminder. Everybody should be saying amen to that. So we'll practice that again. I'm going to be Brother Max. Obviously, I'm a little better looking. But... <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> guess we're glad that you're here. Yeah. And guess you get, we want everybody to think that, that not just the, the guy saying it or the people sitting up here. So, yeah, so now back, man, I got off on a rabbit trail there. So back to what I was talking about, boys and girls are different. Amen. That's, that should not be a controversial statement anyway. One of the ways I enjoy the difference in my own home, having five sons and three daughters, is the way they respond to romance. It's hilarious. Okay, I thought I knew my daughters. They don't just have their weddings planned out. These chicks have their proposals planned out. Like, you understand you don't get this much say in all of this. Well, if he's going to be the right kind of man, I do. <laughs> okay, honey. <laughs> you in for some eye-opening experiences. I mean, so I get Alex. Oh, pray for me. Alex is turning 18 this week. And Ashlyn will be 16 next month. And then I have Addison. Man, she's, she's still my princess, my little baby. Even that, I mean, she's, she's about to turn 11 um, in a couple of weeks, and even she's got this stuff planned out. I'm like, good night. And they just, it's, it's a girl thing, just thinking about, man, the dress and the flowers and what this dude is going to say and how tall he's going to be. I mean, I just, I'm feeling really insecure when they start bringing up height and all of those things. <laughs> And just all kinds of, all kinds of details. This is girls. They're, they're thinking about romance, and they love it. <laughs> My boys are different. <laughs> they hear the word kiss, and they start dry heaving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love this. I love this. You know, boys... I used to say, and I really said this, I used to say, I'm going to live in a trailer in the woods with my hunting dogs. Now, you got to remember, I'm not from Idaho, I'm from the South, and I, that's a love language in the South, a trailer, the woods, and hunting dogs. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't need no girl. Something happened. <laughs> And one day, Andrea just looked different. I'm like, I don't know what's happening to me. I can't explain this, but I need her in my life. 
And I, I tell my boys, boys, this is going to happen to you one day. And they're like, no. It's, it's hilarious. You know, the, I'll, give, I'll give Andrea a kiss. And it's good for moms and dads to show measured physical affection in front of their children. Your kids need to know that it's okay to be in love with one another. I'm not going to preach that whole message. That's a different message. But it's okay for kids to see that. They need to see. Hollywood doesn't need to be showing them what that's like. Godly moms and dads need to be showing them what that's like. Man, and so Andrea, or excuse me, I'll give Andrea a kiss. That's usually how that's working. I'm kidding. I'm just having fun. I'm having fun. Give Andrea a kiss, and the girls are like, oh, and the boys are like, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing the different views of romance. And, and those, will, those will change. The girls will come down a little bit. <laughs> and the boys will go up, and they'll get where they're supposed to be, the, the Lord willing. You know that romance isn't man's idea. Love is God's idea. In, in all of its good forms, Love is God's idea. In fact, you look into Ephesians 5, a great chapter about the order of homes and family structure, and family structure, and Paul references romantic marriage and love, but he says there's a greater implication here, and he's talking about Christ and the church, and how that the love that God created man and woman with the capacity to have and to feel and to share, that is a reflection of who he is. Our capa- Think about this. Our capacity to love, our capacity to intentionally give love, our capacity to feel love, it did not come from ourselves. It is a reflection of who he is. And, and listen, I, I want to say this carefully, but I've, as I've studied scripture, I, I am more and more convinced of this. It's not just a reflection of who he is, but it's a reflection of how he feels about us. Now listen, we've got to be careful not to bring God down to our level, always be trying to, always be trying to live up to his level, but I do believe that God feels, and there are evidences of that, specifically when his people rejected him, and, and the grief and the frustration that he felt towards his people. God certainly feels, and our capacity to feel love, our capacity to give love, our capacity to receive and to reciprocate love is a reflection of him. Romance is God's idea. And without, don't please guard your mind, without being weird, without being inappropriate, God loves people. The most valuable resource in all of creation It's not air, it's not trees, it's not oceans, it's not animal life, it's humanity. And we are not a higher form. We are not a higher form of animal life. We were were created unique to everything else in creation with the capacity to both be aware of ourselves and to be aware of God. And he loves us. It's amazing. In our text, Hosea is what is characterized as a prophet. Prophets were sent in the Old Testament to declare what God 
was saying or doing or what he was going to be doing. Theirs was a ministry of foretelling, declaring what was happening or what was about to happen to instruct them, to give them guidance for the present or to inform them about the future. The books of the prophets in the Old Testament are divided up into two main categories. You have major prophets and then you have minor prophets. Now, that's not a statement about their significance. It's simply a reference to the length of the book. The major prophets generally are agreed upon as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. If you've ever read through them, they're very lengthy and very detailed books. And then you have the minor prophets, which would be Daniel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then the book that we're reading, Hosea. And again, they're not called minor prophets because they're less significant, just because the letters or the prophecies themselves aren't as long as the others. Now, the name Hosea is significant in itself. Its meaning denotes deliverance or salvation. I love this about God, Old and New Testament. He's all about the redemptive plan of mankind. And so it's similar to the name Joshua and is connected to the name Jehovah, who is the author of such deliverance or salvation. The time period during which Hosea ministered is one of the longest on record. It it might be the longest. I didn't figure that out. But when you calculate the years of the kings that are mentioned in verse 1, look at verse 1. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. When you... And... And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, when you calculate those and then you factor in some other events that you you find through cross-reference, the prophet Hosea ministered somewhere between 60 and 70 years, somewhere around there. Now, while all of these things are significant, what's most important about Hosea is the claim in verse number one of divine authority. Notice verse number one, the word of the Lord that came unto, verse number two, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea. Hosea wasn't speaking because he conjured up a message. Hosea wasn't speaking because he came up with this idea that he believed would be valuable. Hosea wasn't speaking. Hosea wasn't called out of how he was living his life. He, He didn't give himself to declaring this revolutionary idea, this amazing self-help tactic. He didn't declare this thing because it was something that in his own imagination or his own study that he conjured up. He was speaking because God came to him and spoke to him and said, I have a message that my people need to hear And you are the one that I have chosen to deliver this message. Now, God, throughout history, can speak to people however he wants to. And there are are some differences in the ways that he's communicated message. But the most prominent, the most oft-used method, Old and New Testament, of God delivering his truth is using other men and women to deliver that truth. And the same, the same thing still applies today, that a pastor or a teacher has no value if they are only giving you their, or if they're simply giving you their opinion. 
If a pastor or a teacher, if in a men's class or a ladies' class or a children's class, if someone is simply just giving their thoughts about life and their feelings, then they really have no authority and their opinion really holds no validity over your opinion. That's not why we have authority. We have authority to teach only when it is based on the truth of the Word of God. And what makes the preaching at West Valley or any other church so valuable is when it is based on a biblical foundation. And so Hosea wasn't coming to the people God called him to in his own name, with his own message. He was coming to them with the authority of God. Now look, you can ignore a man in Honestly, it would be easy. It's easy to ignore me. It's easy to ignore any other human being. It's easy. We have been, we, we have been taught and we have learned the ability to tune people out. And you can tune out just about anyone that you want to. But it is to your detriment if you tune out the voice of God that is being delivered through a human instrument that he chooses. Now, let me just, this isn't what the the main point of the message is, but since I'm talking about it, let me go ahead and mention it. There is not prophecy today like there was then. No, God has given his word. But we have the same authority as Hosea did when we preach this book. Because what God has said, he is still saying from this book. That's important to know. Now, one of the things that I am, one of the major differences not the only one, but a significant one, between prophets and then the New Testament office of a pastor or a bishop, the preaching or the teaching of the Word of God today, is how God would use his prophets at times as physical examples of the message he was trying to communicate. Brother Z and so many of our other teachers do an amazing job with our kids. Phenomenal job. You know, one of the things Brother Z and others really enjoy, I know Miss Carrie's really good at this, and others who've done the videos have been really good at this, they do object lessons. And they want the kids to see truth in motion. They want the kids to see truth in action, being acted out in a way that they can understand, and then you apply it spiritually. Well, God used his prophets, not all the time, but sometimes he used his prophets in that very same way, that he didn't just give them a message to declare. He told them to do some things that could seem very strange, seem very counter to culture, seem very opposite of the way that things should be. And he told them to do these things so that people would have a visible, a a tangible example of how their behavior was affecting God and how it was inconsistent with their relationship with God. One, One of the greatest examples of this is in the book of Ezekiel. I won't give you all the details right now, but you go back or if you're familiar with Ezekiel, you study the things that God told him to do. And when I read that, I just say, praise the Lord, I'm preaching in this day and not that day. Weird. Oh, look, I don't understand it all. Seriously? I just want to thank God that I'm not a prophet, that I just get to be the pastor of West Valley Baptist Church. Hallelujah. Because that stuff is, 
That's out there sometimes. Then you read Hosea's example, and it's no less out there to some. But God uses something so extreme because he wanted people to understand the depth of his love and the seriousness of their sin. Overview of Hosea is this. Understand the depth of my love, but then understand the seriousness of your sin. No, we, we love to talk about love. And give illustrations and make points about the character of God's love and people will be moved and, and excited and thankful. But there's a two-part message to this book. It is the depth of his love. But it is also the seriousness of our betrayal of that love through our sin. Now, one of the objections, there, there are commentaries that I reference just to make sure that I'm thinking right. And most of the time, I end up landing where these commentators land. But with this particular passage, and it's not the only one, there is a diversity of opinion. And many, many people study this and they say, there is no way that this actually happened, that this is some kind of allegory that was used to set an example. But when you read the language of verse number two and verse number three, we'll get into chapter three in a couple of messages. When you read that language, there is nothing allegorical about it. Now, here's why people, here's, here's a couple of reasons why people object to this being an actual event, an action that God commanded Hosea to take. It, number one, their argument is this, that it's inconsistent with the Levitical law for priests. But Hosea was not a priest. Hosea was a prophet. And God, listen, God can command his people to do whatever he wants them to do. Even when, And I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm talking about we may not understand every single thing. Why? But God commanded him to do it. Another, another reason that, he command, that we have a problem with this is just with the moral compass inside of us and with what God reveals about him, we sing a song like, holy, 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 and we have this view of God, then why would God command Hosea to do something that is in such contrast to what he has revealed about his holiness? Well, please understand this. Just because God loves someone does not mean that he is sanctioning the way that they're living their life. Make sense? Let's be honest about that. If God's love was contingent upon him approving of everything in your life, then you would not qualify for his love. Neither would I. The fact that he commands this, is the point is not that he is sanctioning a certain kind of immoral behavior. The point that he is trying to help his people understand how deeply he loves him, but how greatly they have offended him by their sin. And so we read in verse number 2. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. You understand what this is. I don't need to go into great detail about this. But a woman who, for whatever reason, has given her life to being used as a tool 
of self-gratification. Now understand this. Any interaction with her in that capacity, there is no concern for her welfare. Any interaction with her in that capacity, there is no concern for her provision. Any interaction with her in that capacity, there is no concern to protect her, to provide for her, to watch over her. There is no, there is zero interest in taking care of this woman named Gomer. She is simply a tool that is used for wicked self-gratification. And that's how she's viewed. Day after day, we don't know how long. Day after day, week after week, month after month, her life is used simply as a means to gratify godless lust. And none of the none of the men that interact with her care about her. They don't look at her and say your life has value. You're an object. And she's not cared for at all. She's used. She's abused but she's not cared for. But then God commands this prophet, I want you to go to that woman and I want you to marry her. Hosea wasn't a perfect man, but Hosea was a godly man. And and this will only help to appreciate the contrast in a day where women in a time, and and you study the customs of the ancient East, you study the customs of the current environment in many countries today, women will be viewed only as property. You say, is that what you think? Obviously not. Don't hear something I didn't say. And simply referencing it isn't isn't in any way endorsing it. I'm just telling you, there was a time, and there still are today, where women are not viewed as they should be. Are men and women different? Obviously, by God. But men and women have equal value and worth before God. Not always viewed that way, though. Viewed as nothing but an object, a means to an end, or a piece of property, and there's no real concern for them. There's only interest in them gratifying or satisfying or meeting the expectations or needs of the man who had possession or control over them. But then along comes this man, Hosea. Can I remind you that just because humanity's behavior sunk into that wrong view of womanhood, that doesn't mean God ever endorsed it. In fact, if you look at the view of Jesus Christ, you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, he did more than any radical movement to elevate the standing of women in society. Oh man, we need to hear some more amens to that. Or maybe I just need to preach on it. Jesus elevated womanhood. 
Jesus elevated the respect and the value and the place of womanhood. As an example, the first one that he showed himself to, the first one that he gave responsibility to deliver the news of his resurrection was none other than a woman to whom he had ministered and that ministered to him. Jesus elevated. mm, The gospel does more for womanhood than any radical movement ever will. Hallelujah, pastor. Thank you for that. He elevated. God didn't view God didn't view Gomer this way. But society did. The religious establishment viewed her as a piece of trash. A woman like that doesn't get near the temple unless she's used in some form of sadistic worship which is real would eventually participate in. She's viewed as nothing but the filth and the worst of society. And we'll we'll abuse her in the dark corners, but then publicly we will have nothing to do with her. But then along comes Hosea, a godly man, and he takes her as his wife. Now, don't don't get fairy tales in your in your head. This wasn't this was not a fairy tale. There weren't butterflies in everybody's head. Hosea knew exactly what he was doing. He was doing this because God commanded to him, but that did not lessen the effort he put into this. He took this woman out of a life of whoredom. He brought her home. And he did everything for her that had never been done. She was no longer an object to be used, but she was a person that had value. She was no longer longer a tool for gratification, but she was someone to be respected and to be protected and to be provided for. And then whatever physical interaction there was, and based on the text, there was normal and God-honoring natural physical interaction as there should be between a husband and a wife. But that natural physical interaction was not born out of self-gratification. It was the spilling over or the pouring out or the manifestation of love. And that's how God intends for it to be manifested as well as a number of other ways. All of those ways are God's idea. And they were all bestowed upon her as an object not to be used but an object to be loved. What was it about Gomer that was worth loving? Don't answer that out loud. Think about it. What was it about her that was worth loving? Physically? Nothing. Hosea did not love her and take her because she was so amazing. But she obviously had value. You know why Hosea took her and brought her to himself? Because God cared for her. And God loved her. And God wanted her and God wanted the Israelites to see Just as Hosea has elevated Gomer, I, through my relationship with you and my love for you, 
I have elevated you. In just two verses. So many details are left to our imagination, but Gomer goes from being a woman who is used to being a woman who is loved. Say this about Gomer. I look at Gomer here in verse number three. Say, Gomer, you have never been so loved. No, this is amazing. I, I, we got to be careful to guard our thoughts, but every interaction previous to Hosea was in, a, was in some way a selfish and an abusive action. But godly marriage and all of the interactions that take place in a godly marriage, they're not, a, they're not abusive. They're pouring out of, they're a mutual pouring out of love and value and respect. And it's a manifestation of what God created and what he intends for his people to enjoy in marriage, and now she's no longer an object. She is valued as a woman. She is valued as a person. She is valued as Hosea's wife. And, and if you can put yourself in her position, as Hosea takes her in his arms and he holds her and maybe tells her something like this. I don't know how it all, again, there are details that are left undiscovered, but in some way she had to see and feel and notice the difference that it wasn't about what he could get out of her. It was about what he could give to her and what he could do for her and how he could care for her. In those times when he would hold her, it was unlike being held by anyone else because they would hold her only for their own pleasure, but he was holding her because he genuinely loved her and cared for her and wanted what was best for her. There is a difference. Gomer, you've never been so loved. Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel. There's reference to the southern kingdom. It's, there's a significant amount of prophecy to the northern kingdom. You think about Israel in comparison with Gomer. When they were in Egypt, oppressed slaves... Why would God love them? They're nobodies. You know, biblical history, think with me. They're nobodies. They're somebody's property. They're, they're making pyramids. They're, they're wanderers. What, why would God care for them? Because he does. Because that's who he is. And he sets his affection upon them. And he brings them out of Egypt. And he delivers them from their oppressive bondage. He delivers them from their abusiveness. And he makes them. He brings them. He even uses romantic terms like marriage. And I've betrothed you. He brings the nation of Israel into a relationship with himself. And he tells them, it's not because you are any better than anyone else. It's simply because I love you. And you look like you look at Gomer from where she was when Gomer came to her and where she is as Hosea's wife. And you see that there is an incredible elevation. You look at Israel as a, as a group of people in bondage to Egypt. And then you see them as the people of God conquering the promised land. And how they've enjoyed the prosperity of God under the reign of David and under the reign of Solomon. And you say to the nation of Israel, what is it about you? You're not better than anyone else. No, God loves you and you have 
have never been so loved. Isn't it amazing? You study the, the early days of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, they're out for weeks, months. Man, we had it way better in Egypt. Really? Really? No, no, Israel, you've never been so loved. What was true for Gomer and what was true for the nation of Israel is true for every child of God today. You have never been so loved. You are a recipient, or you can be a recipient, of the greatest love that has ever been. Let me give you a, just a couple of reminders. You aren't loved because you're great. You're loved because he chooses to love you. I'm not loved because I'm, I have anything that he would value as a talent or a gift. I'm loved because he is love. I'm loved because he cares for me. I'm loved because he saw me in my sinful estate and desired to redeem me from it and to give me eternal life. I'm so thankful for passages like John 3:16, for God so loved the world. I'm so thankful for other references that talk about God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I'm thankful that God's grace and God's mercy have been shed abroad. He's willing that whosoever he's willing that whosoever will may come. God loves people. But that leads to the second truth, you are valuable to God. When others would despise you, when your shame might cause you to cringe or others to cringe, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what baggage you're dealing with. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what there's been in the past or what there currently is in the present. But I can, can I tell you that nothing about you embarrasses God. Nothing about you makes God cringe. Nothing about you makes God afraid to invest in you and to reach out to you. And just as he told Hosea, you go to that woman that no one will have anything to do with outside for a particular purpose, you go to her and you love her in a godly way, in a specific way, in a right way. I want you to know God is not afraid of you and God is not ashamed of you. And while others may turn their face away, while others may cringe, while others may hide, while others may keep their distance, God doesn't want to keep his distance from you. He loves you because he values you and he values you so much that he does died on the cross and there isn't anything that you can be guilty of that Jesus Christ will ever turn away from you for. The cross covers it all. His blood is sufficient for it all. You literally, as a man going to a woman like Gomer, that you know what you're getting into. And there's not anything that you can tell him that is going to make him run and hide. He knows what you are. And the same with God in a much greater way. He knows what you are. And still, he comes for you. As Hosea called Gomer's name, Jesus is calling out your name. You are valuable to him. He loves you. He 
cares for you. You say, why am I valuable? Because he places value on you. You know what, honestly, that takes the pressure off me. If I'm valuable because of what I physically offer or talents I have, I'm not really valuable. I'm just a nerd. I do a lot of stuff below average. <laughs> Y'all aren't enjoying this. Eh, mediocre. Yeah, yeah. Participation trophies, yay. That's not why God loves me or anybody else. My heart trembles for people that have been blessed with great ability that think their value is because of their ability. No, your value is not in an ability that is going to deteriorate with your age and die with you. Your value is that you are and that God has placed value on you. And I tell you this morning, you have never been so loved. So two things. Here's the, here's the response. Two things. Please stay with me. I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up quick. Two things. Number one, accept it. <laughs> Can you imagine Gomer? Okay, all of the horrible things about her life. Nah. I mean, it's like the Israelites asking to go back to Egypt. The buffets there were so much better. Okay, seriously, do you remember the whips? Do you, do you remember the oppression? You know, imagine Gomer sitting there saying, nah. I mean, who wants to know about loyalty and purity and dedication and, oh man, it's, this is great. It's just as silly to, rese- to reject the offer of a Savior who gave everything to save you. The best of the world cannot compare to what Jesus Christ can do for your life. He's offering it all. You will never have it as good as you have it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the best. Number two, number one, accept it by faith. You say, how do I accept it? What do I have to do? Believe it. Oh, man, I got to stop. Sorry. I love giving this illustration. Let me get it off. Sorry. It'll take me a minute. Uh, my wedding ring. I, I love doing this as an illustration when I'm talking to someone about the gospel. It, imagine that this represents the love of God. And Jesus says to you, listen, I died for you and I love you. And this, this ring is a symbol of my love. It's a symbol of my complete forgiveness of my eternal life. And I want you to have it. And I'm offering it to you. What do you have to do to have it? He doesn't say go to church. He doesn't say get baptized. He doesn't say stop doing bad and start doing good. He doesn't say any of that, hallelujah. Praise his name. He doesn't say earn it. He doesn't, I've I've had people say this to me over and over again. Well, pastor, I've got to be worth it. You can never be worth it. And hallelujah, he doesn't ask you to be worth it. He loves you because he chooses to love you. So what do I have to do? And this is what they eventually figure out. You open your hand and you accept it. Accept it by faith. The Bible says you call on the Lord in faith and he will save you that moment. And everything you have done or could ever do is taken care of under the blood of the cross of our great Savior. Accept it. But number two, and this is where we get into the second part, the depth of the love of God but the, the, the wickedness of their sin. Number two, be loyal to that love. Here's the statement. 
His love should produce our loyalty. And this is what we'll deal with in a couple of Sundays, the Lord willing. I got it good with Andrea. You see the smile? It's real. (laughs) No, that's not, yeah, you're in front of people all the time. No, I got it good. I got a great wife. In case you don't know, she's awesome. And she's not here this morning, so I can brag her. And I'm pretty sure she's not watching because she's got better things to do. Like, I get a break. (laughs) No, my wife is awesome. You know, it's an awesome woman who, and it was mutual. Like, how do you have eight kids on purpose? I mean, she loves our children, and she loves me. It's an amazing woman who will say, Jonathan, I will go with you anywhere as long as you can look me in the eye and tell me you believe that's what God wants us to do. And she has followed me and supported me and been with me in every step, in every fire, in every battle. My wife's awesome. She's awesome. You know, there's a lot of temptation out there. Look, I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm not, not weird, just transparent. There's temptation everywhere, isn't there? Men, isn't there? No, come on, brothers. Amen. There is temptation everywhere. Come on, ladies. There's temptation everywhere, isn't there? It's not just for um, men. For women as well, there's temptation everywhere. You know, not the only thing, but one of the things that affects my devotion to her. I have no better love. I don't care who it is or what it looks like. There is nothing better in this world for me than my wife. And that kind of love over the last 19 years should produce loyalty from me. If Jesus loves you like no one else, then it should produce loyalty to him like no one else. You say, how? Live a life that is pleasing to him. Come on, brothers and sisters. Grace doesn't give us a license to sin. Oh, I'm not going to lose my salvation so I can do whatever I want. No, you're not going to lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation because it doesn't depend on you. It didn't depend on you to get it, and it doesn't depend on you to maintain it. But his grace is not a license to just live your life in whatever godless way you want to. You prove your loyalty by living a life that is different and that is pleasing to him. Number two, you prove your loyalty by being loyal to his church. You aren't the only thing he died for. Scripture tells us that he dies for his church as well. And, whether, and listen, there's a lot of great churches. And you will, we, West Valley will not grow by knocking other churches. I believe that what we have is unique. And I don't believe that everyone that calls itself a church is preaching the truth or doing the right thing. But there are other good churches. And whether it's this one or another one, you need to find a church. And you need to get in it. And you need to be loyal to it. Because he died for it. And this is where he's working. And this is the vehicle for doing Doing what he does in this day. Number three, and I'm done, you can be loyal to him by showing his love to others. What a tragedy that in this day, the people who are the recipients of the greatest kind of love can show shallow nastiness in all of their little bubbles around them. And I'm thankful for what Brother Max said. We're not fear-mongering here. We're serious. We deal with issues. But brothers and sisters, we're operating on a higher plane. Does that make you feel weird? 
No, I'm not driven by who's in the White House. I'm not driven by political party. I'm not driven by the stability or the instability of society. I am anchored to eternal truth of an eternal God. I'm not saying I don't get nervous sometimes. I'm not saying you don't care or you shouldn't be involved. What I am saying is that we have every reason to love in every situation. Amen, Pastor. Thank you for that as well. Be loyal by your love to each other. Let's all stand together. <coughs> Excuse me. His love should produce our loyalty. Can you look at me one more time? Just let me see your eyes for a moment. You've never been so loved. I don't know what you feel about yourself right now or what you think others think. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who loves you. You've never been so loved. But that love should produce loyalty. So this morning, have you accepted it? Do you know for sure that if you died right now, you would go to heaven? Do you know that? If you don't, you can get that settled today. You can enter into a love relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, are you being loyal in the life you live? Are you being loyal in a church somewhere? Are you being loyal in the way that you love other people around you? Are you being loyal? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for the sake of privacy, I wonder if there would be someone that would say, I am struggling to believe that I'm loved. But if that kind of love is real, then I want it. And I need it in my life. Would you pray for me? I wonder, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there would be someone that would raise their hand and say, I'm struggling to believe that. But if that's true, I want it. And I need it. God bless you for your honesty. wonder this maybe I'm discouraged and I need to be reminded that I'm loved like that the the weight of my circumstances the weight of life has just has beat me down and I'm struggling I, I needed to be I need to be reminded that I'm loved that way would you pray for me yeah I see him God bless you for your honesty <laughs> how about this I'm struggling with my loyalty in some way I'm struggling with it. And it's not that I don't understand that I'm loved. It's that that love is not producing the loyalty that it ought to. And I need God's help with that. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there would be, yep, I see it. Yep, yep, yep. God bless you. Well, maybe you ought to come, maybe pray in your, own, in your seat there or come to the altar. Maybe you ought to pray, Lord, just thank you that I'm loved. Isn't, what a great love. Maybe you need to confess some things and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not loyal to you like I need to be. Maybe you say, I want to know how to put my faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. We can take the Bible in a very discreet way and show you that. But while Brother Nate sings, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him.
We'll sing one more verse. Father, thank you that we are so loved and uh, we are glad. And Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you for the attention of your people. Thank you for your guests, Lord, that are here. And I just pray in every life that you would continue to work out the story and the truth of your love in each of our lives. Lord, as we go, please help us to remember how we are loved. And then may that love affect our loyalty to you and our loyalty to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For all of you who are